we uh, have done a series through the life of Daniel, and uh, I know some of you would like me to now go into the last half of Daniel and go verse by verse through all the prophecy, and I'm sorry we're not going to do that. If it really bothers you, I can recommend a couple of good books, uh, but we're not going to do that, and our focus was on the life of Daniel, not on necessarily the book of Daniel, and so Uh, What we have seen is Daniel is a very young man being kidnapped. Uh, He was hauled away. And he lived a a long way away, Babylon, which in our culture, 900 miles is not that big a deal. I mean, I've ridden further than that on one day on my motorcycle. Uh, Kathy didn't want to ride with me for some reason. Uh, And... Uh, but it's a long day in their culture, a long ways, because they went by horse and cart or donkey or camel or walking because he was a slave. And we saw the hand of God blessing Daniel through that time. But one of the things, the last half of the book of Daniel tells us that, that God revealed some of the future to Daniel. And so we're going to ask a couple of questions, and there's some space for notes in your bulletin if you uh, want to fill those in. Uh, and the first question is, what does God reveal? What does God reveal? We're going to look at Daniel, and we're going to look at Peter, actually the book of Second Peter, but we're going to look at the apostle Peter, and we're going to look at Daniel and see what does God reveal. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace, your mercy. We thank you that we can gather here in this place without fear. On this day that we have now called for 2,000 years, the Lord's Day. We celebrate your resurrection on this day, not just Easter Sunday, every Sunday. We celebrate that you rose from the dead. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we thank you that you work in ways we don't always understand, and even more importantly, in ways we don't always appreciate. I pray that we would see what you have chosen to reveal, and why you might have revealed that, and what difference it should make in our lives, because... uh, New Testament says the Old Testament was written for our learning. So help us to understand what we need to learn, how we need to change. And thank you that your Holy Spirit is here with us, helping us understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. What does God reveal? Well, the first thing that we're going to see is that God reveals the glory of Jesus Christ and his eternal kingdom. Hopefully you're in the book of Daniel. If not, please turn to the book of Daniel. We're going to look in chapter 7. God revealed the glory of Jesus Christ and his eternal kingdom. And we're not going to look at all of Daniel 7 or all the rest of Daniel. We're going to look in Daniel 7 and later in 11 and just see some of the things that God revealed. In Daniel chapter 7, if you can, read along with me. Just look at it in your Bible as I read. Verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, 
And behold, one like the Son of Man. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Son of Man is one of the titles of Jesus Christ. Behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days. Who is that? God the Father. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Who's the they? The angels. Yes. You guys are doing good. All right, verse 14. Then to him, uh, it's kind of funny, when the end of verse 13, they brought him near him. They brought the Son of Man, Jesus, near the Father, Ancient of Days. Then to the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. The Lord will always reign. Right now he reigns from heaven. Someday he'll reign from earth. Then he will reign in the new heaven and the new earth. But he reigns. And the book of Daniel, God revealed to Daniel the glory of Jesus Christ and his eternal kingdom. This is Hundreds and hundreds of years before Bethlehem. But Jesus Christ already was because he is God the Son. Eternal, born into humanity. Our Savior, ruling and reigning in heaven and one day on earth. And he's supposed to rule and reign in my heart and yours. The second thing that God revealed was the future of the nations. The future of the nations. Now don't turn there, but in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Uh, The golden head, what did that symbolize? The kingdom of Babylon. Uh, The shoulders and arms of silver. The kingdom of the Medes and the Persians became Medo-Persia. The core and the thighs of brass represented the kingdom of Greece. And then the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay, uh, the Roman kingdom. That dream showed the future of kingdoms from Babylon to Medo-Persia to Greece to Rome. In chapter 7 and 8, Daniel had visions of this same progression from one kingdom to another. But instead of the beautiful, precious stones of gold and then silver and then brass and then iron, Daniel's visions of chapter 7 and 8, the kingdoms were devouring vicious beasts. When God looks down from heaven, mankind is violent. Vicious. There was a lion with wings as an eagle, a bear with rib bones in its mouth, a leopard with wings of a bird, a, a dreadful beast which was indescribable, and then fierce goats and future kingdoms. From man's view, the kingdoms are precious stones and highly valuable. From God's perspective, the kingdoms are wild and violent. I have done some reading last year and this year on transitions in Europe and even the United States. I have been amazed at how many times Europe has had battles 
and how many times the United States has been in conflicts. It's staggering. And we don't, we don't even have to go fight with other nations. We can fight with ourselves. We've done that. The way things are going, it might end up there again. I hope not. But the kingdoms of this earth, the nations, are as a drop in a bucket compared to God. A drop in a bucket. That's the United States. Compared to the awesomeness and dominion of God. The second thing that he revealed was, or third thing, he revealed the Antichrist. He revealed the Antichrist, the opposite of Christ. In his visions, Daniel saw the division of Greece when Alexander died young. He saw the rise of the Antichrist who might be alive today but has not yet been revealed. Although Antiochus Epiphanes did some of the actions described in Daniel, he didn't do all of them. And in 167, the Maccabean revolt revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes threw off his reign. Uh, But when the Antichrist rules, only Christ can overcome the Antichrist. And he will be more diabolical, more wicked, more powerful, more evil than anyone ever. Combine Stalin and Hitler and he will still be worse. Worse than has ever been seen. He will be empowered by Satan himself. He will lead people into debauchery and vile behavior that's exactly the opposite of what Christ wants. He will be the anti-Christ. And then God revealed future times and events, looking to the future. In Daniel 9, uh, chapter 9, Daniel prayed a prayer of intercession for Israel. And the angel Gabriel then described the 70 weeks or parts 70 weeks of years or 70 periods of time that uh, 70 weeks of years leading up to the time of Christ and then uh, even the final week of years being in the great tribulation. In chapter 10, Gabriel, uh, the angel, described the fierce spiritual battle that is very real but invisible to our eyes. He reminds us that the devil is not mightier than the archangels. Look in chapter 11, Daniel chapter 11, Uh, the description of the rise and fall of Persia and Greece, Daniel 11 and verse 2, and now I tell you the truth, behold, three kings, uh, three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than them all, by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up against the realm of Greece, then a mighty king we know as Alexander the Great, shall rise and shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he has risen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided toward the four winds of heaven. Alexander died and four leaders took over the kingdom, but not among his posterity, nor according to his dominion which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be uprooted even for others besides these." Hundreds of years before Greece even became a power. God's describing the rise of Greece over Medo-Persia. The fall of Greece. The rise of Rome. And the fall of the Roman Empire. The angels Michael and Gabriel go on to describe future battles that 
later occurred exactly as God predicted and revealed, but also future battles that have not yet occurred. In chapter 12, they encouraged Daniel to be faithful to the one true and living God, to trust him even in days of great difficulty. How many of you have had days of great difficulty in your life? Yeah. If you haven't, then you're just young. It's coming. It's coming. I want you to uh, think about why God gave these revelations to Daniel. Why did God give visions to Daniel? Isn't it interesting what God did and why? Daniel couldn't even comprehend it. In fact, one of the, the beasts that came out, representative of the uh, nation of Rome, was indescribable. He could say one looked like a lion with wings, one looked like a leopard with wings, one looked like a bear with rib bones sticking out of his mouth, and the other thing, just this hideous, vile beast. He couldn't even describe what it looked like. And yet God was laying out a thousand years of history and even future into the history of the Antichrist. So why did God give these visions to Daniel? Now, these next four points are my understanding. This is not the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 3 exactly why God gave these visions to Daniel. No, this is in the Gospel of Green. Okay, ready? Number one, to remind you that God is 100% sovereign. See, some people like to say, well, God is almost sovereign. He's in control of almost everything. Because people have free will, so God's not in control of that. But we do have limited free will. God allows us to make some choices and make some decisions. In fact, he says in the, in the Bible there were times when God wanted to bless, but the people wouldn't let him, basically. They they were choosing not to have God's blessings. And there, Jesus said there was wisdom he wanted to give to people, but they weren't ready to receive it yet. So God has built up parameters. And we, within those parameters or walls, we can make decisions. But we cannot step outside those. Like right now, I can step right outside of here. And you can still hear my voice, but you don't know where I am. Ha, ha, ha. See, but you can't do that for God. If God has a barrier, you can't step outside of it. God is sovereign. The amazing thing about God's sovereignty is it doesn't matter what you choose, what you do. Seven billion people on the planet can all make decisions today, and yet nobody can step outside the parameters God has established. He is so sovereign, so in control, you can do whatever you want, and it doesn't change God's sovereignty. Because he is awesome God. Now, some of you are football fans. You know, I watch the NFL draft. 
because Kathy watched the NFL draft. <laughs> and she was into it. I picked the number one right, and then after that, I just cared a little bit about who the Cardinals drafted, but um, she knows a lot of the player by name. I don't think she's met many of them. Like, none, right? All the players I used to know have retired a long time ago, tells my age. But now listen, wouldn't you love to have a football team, if you're a fan, to have a football team that was so dominant, it wouldn't matter what the other team did. It wouldn't matter who the other team had. You could still trounce them. That's God. Satan says in Isaiah 14, I'm going to be like the Most High. And God said, no, you're not. When Satan in Revelation, when they have this battle in heaven and Satan gets thrown out of heaven, it's described in the book of Revelation, God doesn't even get involved. The other angels throw Satan out of heaven. God is 100% sovereign. He's not 99.99999. He's 100%. You cannot move outside the parameters God has established. Secondly, God revealed these visions to Daniel to show you that God is 100% in charge of the future. Now, some of you began this year uh, thinking things were going to go one way. And you're at the beginning of the year and you're looking ahead and you, you have a pretty good idea where things are going. And that's not what happened. Things happen. God is 100% in control, in charge of the future. I don't know what the future is. You, you can watch kids and you can see some of their behavior and you can know unchecked, you know what their future will be. But you don't know which of those kids might trust Christ as Savior and have their life transformed. And you don't know which kids who seem to be living for God will make bad choices and walk away. But God knows the future. He doesn't just know the future. He's in charge of it. <laughs> One of my favorite things in the Bible. I, okay. I'm weird, okay? You guys know that, right? But, but I love the battle at the end of time. At the end of, after the tribulation, there's going to be a thousand-year millennial reign, and then God's going to come, and then there's going to be this final last rebellion, and 200 million soldiers march against Israel. And fire comes down from heaven and consumes them all. This massive million, 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 million army marching and they're gone. Faster than you can burn a piece of toast. They're gone. Now, I, I like that and I don't like that because, you know, every single person that faces that will end up in the lake of fire because they've rebelled against God and not received Christ. But I love the fact that God is so awesome. He doesn't even have to get involved 
It's not like he comes down and he's fighting it out and he wins, he conquers. There is no fight. He's God. They're not. God's 100% in charge of your future. And maybe you don't like where your life is today. But God is at work in your life today. And he knows the future and he knows where you're going and he knows what's happening. And he's in charge. Third, God said this to encourage you that God knows the end of all days and the end of your days. I, uh, one New Year's Eve, we had a thing at church where we stayed till midnight. And back then, we didn't have that other building. We didn't have much storage. We had a storage building down there, and we kept the round tables down there, rectangular tables down there because we didn't have any room for them in here because that storage room was my study, and we, we just were jammed for space. And, and so after New Year's, we had this New Year's Eve party, and then we cleaned up, and early in the morning on New Year's Day, somebody said, why don't you pull your van around here, and we'll load these tables in the van and drive them down to the storage building, and I, I didn't really want to do it, but I, well, we might as well, I, but I had a headache. I've learned never drive when I feel like that. I smashed my van into my car. Now, I was glad for a couple reasons. Uh, Evelyn and Cecil had just bought a new car, and it was close, but I missed theirs and hit mine. I thought, if I'm going to hit one, I'm glad I hit mine. And I was also glad that if you can run into a car, what would have happened if there had been kids in the parking lot, you know? So I was really glad all I did was hit a car. took Kathy a couple days to feel glad about anything about that. (laughs) And the funniest thing, (laughs) when my son Nathan was still at home and Jim Reeves ran over, grabbed Nathan and said, don't say anything. Don't say anything to your dad. Don't do it, because Jim knew how upset I was going to be. But you know, when that day started, I had no idea how it would end. No idea. Ironically, on my message plan for the first Sunday of January that year was how God can use your failures if you'll trust and follow Him. And I became my own sermon illustration. It was really exciting. But God knows the end. He knows the end of all days, and he knows the end of your days. So he knows when Terry Green will die. He already knows. And he knows how this day will end. He knows whether you'll go to the mailbox tomorrow and some anonymous stranger just sent you a check for $100,000. That'd be great. Please tithe. (laughs) Listen, he knows. And God said, here's what's going to happen. This kingdom's going to last a little bit, and then this one's going to rise up and last a little bit, and then this one, and then this one, and then it's going to break apart, and then at the end there's going to be this antichrist, and then I'm going to dominate. God wants you to know that he knows. Every now and then we get the idea that 
God just doesn't understand. We pray, and God, if you really knew how bad this hurt, like the disciples in the boat telling Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? Yeah. He came to give us life so you wouldn't perish spiritually. But God knows the end of your days. And he knows the end of all days. We need to remember that. We get stressed over the political situation in our country, over the legal decisions made in our courts. But we remember the judge of all the earth is still in charge, 100% sovereign. He's fully in charge of the future, and he knows the end of all days, and he knows the end of your days. Number four, God revealed this to teach you that God is fully prepared for anything and everything that will come up. Have any of you ever watched the show MacGyver? With his Swiss Army knife, he's prepared for anything, right? God really is. Anything. The worst that Satan can throw at him, he's ready for it. The attacks of the atheists, he's ready for it. The potential of nuclear meltdowns, he's ready for it. The potential of nuclear wars, he's ready for it. God is fully prepared for the future. There is nothing that can come up. Nothing. If you suddenly have a child, suddenly very sick, well, okay, you don't suddenly have a child, right, ladies? But if you have a child and that child is suddenly very sick, God's already prepared for this. God never says, whoa, and he never says, whoops. He's in control. And the prophecies that God revealed to Daniel and others show us that God is so in control, we don't need to worry about the future. It's covered by the one who owns the future. And he also owns us. So now I want you to take your Bible, please, and turn to 2 Peter. And as we look at Peter, we're going to look at what do you need to do in response to prophecy? What do you need to do in response to prophecy? 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter's writing, beloved, that's writing to fellow Christians. I now write to you the second epistle. This is the second letter he's written to Christians at large, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. He said, I'm trying to get you to remember all the promises of God, all the work of God, that God's in control of the future and all of this. Verse 2, that you might be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, including Daniel, um, and of the commandments of us, the apostles, and of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. There are more things written against Christianity today, I think, than any other time in history, because there's more people who write, and there's more people, and there's more ways to do it. The Internet has provided a platform for people who would have been rejected by culture to be a centerpiece in our culture. And so 
scoffers abound. Verse 4, and they say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. He said, where's the promise? Jesus said he was coming. It's been 2,000 years. How long should you wait? I don't know when it was written, but when I was a teenager, there was a song about a girl who was a little not right in the head. And, and she would go downtown waiting for this boy who promised to come and marry her. And it's been decades, and he still hasn't come. But every day she carries her suitcase downtown waiting for him. And everyone would look at her and say, that's not going to happen. I just remember that it was Delta Dawn. For those of you who are old folks, you remember that song. Um, That's the way the world looks at Christians. They're a little crazy. Jesus said he'd come back. Hasn't happened yet. And we've had some pretty horrific things happen on planet Earth in the last 2,000 years. The darkness of the past century is more significant than the darkness of the Dark Ages. There have been more evil people committing more evil deeds. More wars in the last hundred years than in the last, the whole time of humanity. It's, it's sad. And so they mock us and they laugh at us. Oh yeah, Jesus is coming. How's that working for you, huh? He's still coming. Look in verse 4. Uh, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now look at verse 5. For this they willingly forget. They choose to ignore the historical truth that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. He's saying uh, back in Noah's day... Uh, God judged with water and flooded the entire earth. And all life, air-breathing life, died. All land life died, except what was in the ark. And then he says in verse 7, The heavens and the earth, which now exist, that includes us today on planet earth, They are kept in store by the same word, reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men when God has the final judgment called the great white throne judgment. And those who have not trusted Jesus Christ ask him to forgive their sins and be their savior. They will face that judgment and they will be thrown into the lake of fire. That's that final judgment and perdition of ungodly men. What's the first word of verse 8? But, but, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. God's not bound by time the way we are. Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why hasn't the Lord come? 
He wants people to be saved. He's not being lazy. He's not sitting up in heaven saying, I don't want to do it. He's waiting because he wants more people to be saved. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come. Pause right there just a minute. It will. It's not that it might. It will come. As a thief in the night in the which the heavens will pass with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and all the works that are in it will be burned up. What do you need to know about prophecy? Here's number one. Do not become a prophecy geek. What do you need to do in response to prophecy? Don't become a prophecy geek. I encourage you not to buy the prophecy Bible. Just study the Word of God and grow and mature and learn. Some of the people that get so absorbed into prophecy, they're not effective in living for the Lord. Look at verse 11. It says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? He's not saying, listen, you need to figure it all out, have all the answers for all the prophecies. No, he's saying, listen, because you know it's coming, you need to live right. You need to live well. Don't just focus on prophecy, focus on changing your life. That's what we really need to focus on, he said. Secondly, we need to truly trust. Did you know that trust and anxiety cannot coexist? I used to have a terrible fear of the dentist, partly because I hadn't taken care of my teeth and I, my gums, and I had surgery, very painful surgery on my mouth, that, and, and I just did not like going to the dentist. And, and no joke, I would sit in the dentist's office just sweating, just waiting in agony before they'd call my name. And then I'd have to walk in and hearing that sound, you know, I I could have them drill without uh, Novocaine, but just the sound of it, just, oh! And then I met a lady named Hillary, who was the new wife of my friend Mark. And talking with Mark and Hillary, I found out Hillary's a dentist. She has her dental practice up in Chandler. I drive to Chandler to see the dentist. And in my appointment book, it doesn't say, I have to go to the dentist. It says, Hillary. Hillary Douglas, Mark Eckhoff. Some of you remember them. And Hillary is my dentist. I don't have that anxiety. I go there, Hillary's my friend. She's going to do what's needed and only what's needed. She's going to try not to hurt me. And now I can trust the dentist. I told her she cannot retire till after I die. <laughs> but listen, trust and anxiety cannot coexist. Are you fearful fretting about something? Let's be honest. If you're worried and fretting about something, what's the Bible call that? Sin. For those of us who don't worry very much, that's a very easy thing to say. When you worry, you sin. 
but we have our own issues, right? Truly trust. Look at verse 12. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We can truly trust because we know the end of the story. Now, listen, there are some Christians who think we shouldn't worry about the environment at all. It's all going to burn up anyway. The thing is, we don't know when it's all going to burn up. And if we abuse the environment now and the Lord waits a couple hundred years, then our descendants are going to have a pretty rough life. I don't think you've got to run out and hug a tree. But if you really feel you need to hug a tree, I recommend the saguaro cactus. <laughs> but, but I do think we need to not abuse our environment. Sorry. <laughs> I got that loving thumbs up from Kathy. <laughs> Not. But, but trust God. The end, we win. Yeah, you've got painful days now, but we win. It's like watching a replay of a game your favorite baseball team and you miss the game and you watch a replay. By the way, that's the only way to watch baseball because you can just fast forward through all the standing, scratching, spitting, and just watch the pitch and the hit. (laughs) Truly, truly trust. Life on earth can be difficult. Trust. People can fail you. Trust. Your finances can be very difficult. Trust. Your health can be failing. Trust. The doctor can can say, it's over. You've got weeks to get your life in order. Trust. Trust him. The one who rules and reigns. Trust him. We know the end of the story because he gave us part of the end of the story and we can trust him. Number three, you need to grow up. Grow up. Look at verse 18. But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Grow in grace Learn about and choose to trust Jesus Christ. Live for his glory and not your own. Grow in grace. Grow in your knowledge of Christ. Trust him. Number four, be a disciplined disciple. A disciplined disciple. Look at verse 14. Therefore, beloved... Looking forward to these things, be diligent. What does that mean? Diligent is not just sticking with it. There's, There's an intensity. Really focus on it. I have been told that the great baseball pitcher, or hitters, 
get, when the ball leaves the pitcher's hand, they can see the spin of the ball. They know the strings. They see the change. And so they know what's coming at them. I can play so, slow pitch softball and still don't know what's coming. But they can, on a ball coming 100 miles an hour, they know what's coming. And so they're ready. But we have an idea of what's coming, and therefore, looking forward to these things. Because, you know, the bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys wins. And there was another bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys still dies. And yet we as Christians get caught up in materialism. We want a little nicer car. We want a little nicer house or a lot nicer car, a lot nicer house. We want more and more and more of what this world has to offer. And Peter said, don't get caught up in that. Instead, be diligent of your relationship in him. Be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. Be a disciplined disciple. See, the goal is so that if somebody follows you like they follow Daniel and they evaluate your life all day long for day after day after day after day, the only thing they could say is that person really follows God. That's all they could say about Daniel. They tried to find fault with him and they couldn't. And you need to be blameless. Try and live in a way that brings glory to God. That's the challenge. God didn't say, hey, man, do the best you can do. He said, hey, step up. Do better. No matter how good you're doing, do better. Grow up. Be a disciplined disciple. Number five, be a witness for Christ. Look back at verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. He is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I've heard preachers talk about evil people and say, they're going to burn in hell, as if they were happy that person was going to hell. God's not happy that anyone goes to hell. He wants them all to come to repentance. Look at verse 15. Account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as also our brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, uh, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which those who are untaught and unstable twist to their own destructions, as they do also the rest of the scripture. Be a witness. God does not want people to go to hell. He wants them to be saved. And his long suffering is so that we can reach more people with his love and truth to share it with them so they can believe. Be a witness for Christ. Look at verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, since you know these things beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away by the error of the wicked, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Number six, 
Be ready. Be ready. We don't know the day and the hour the Lord will come. We don't know when the trump will sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first and will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We don't know when this day will be our last day. We don't, but He does. So we live in a way that trusts Him, follows Him, and heads toward that day. I really think every morning we should wake up and say, Lord, is this the day? Is this the day? There was a preacher who used to call people on the phone. They'd answer and he said, If I'd been the Lord, would you be ready? And somebody answered him back, If you'd been the Lord, you wouldn't have used a telephone. <laughs> Are you ready? Are you ready? If on your way home today, you didn't make it home, are you ready? If instead of going back to your home in Arizona City or Casa Grande or Coolidge or Maricopa, if instead of going to that home, you ended up going to your home in heaven, are you ready? Now, if you're here this morning and you have never trusted Jesus Christ and you have never asked him to forgive your sins and be your savior, you're not ready. You come to church all the time with your kids or with your parents maybe, but you haven't trusted Christ. You're not ready. But see, we don't know when the end will come. I preach funerals for people three years old and 99 years old. We don't know when the end will come, but it's coming. Are you ready? If God came today, would you be ready to go with him? Would you be thrilled to be with him? Would you have been living the way he wants you to live when he shows up? Can you put up that uh, slide for number two, truly trust? I love that gauge, pointing to trust. We're going to sing a song in just a minute about that trust. And as we sing this song, uh, it's Be Still My Soul. We're going to end our morning service with it. We're going to begin our evening service with it. Are you trusting the Lord? for your salvation because you've asked him to forgive your sins and be your savior, for the circumstances of your life because he's Lord and he is in charge. Are you ready? Are you trusting? Let's stand as we sing. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. You're going to have troubles and trials. Be still. Trust him.